Antiphospholipid syndrome. Is it real or just a throwaway diagnosis we give to placate mothers with recurrent pregnancy losses? You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing pregnancy loss. In this segment, we will be focusing on antiphospholipid syndrome. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Robert Silver. Dr. Silver is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah Medical Center. He is also director of the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine and has recently received an NIH grant to study stillbirths. He is a nationally recognized expert on anti-cardiolipin antibody syndrome, also known as antiphospholipid syndrome, as well as a variety of other names. Welcome, Dr. Silver. It's a pleasure to be here. What is the broad overview of this syndrome? It is a syndrome, so I know that there's no specific one laboratory test. So can you give us uh, some of the, the broad overview as to how to make the diagnosis? Well, as a syndrome, it's necessary to have both clinical problems as well as laboratory confirmation in order to be considered to have the diagnosis. The clinical problems required for this syndrome include thrombosis, which can be either arterial or venous, as well as certain pregnancy complications. The pregnancy complications include fetal death, recurrent early miscarriage, or a pregnancy complicated by a really bad placenta, for example, severe preeclampsia or severe intrauterine growth retardation, prompting preterm birth. What about the early pregnancy loss? Uh, can you be more specific? How many losses? How early? The definition of a recurrent pregnancy loss is controversial and, and varies, but the most commonly used definition and the one that's most typically used as criteria for anaphospholipid syndrome are three or more first trimester losses with no more than one live birth, uh, as well as being sure to exclude other recognized causes of recurrent pregnancy loss. When you say early, because um, you did use the term early, uh, we're typically not talking about second trimester. What, how early in the first trimester? Again, the definition varies uh, among authorities, but the definition used here is typically less than 10 weeks gestation. So there are really two clinical hallmarks of this, thrombotic events and obstetrical morbidity. Tell us about the type of venous thrombotic events we're talking about. Well, by far and away, the most common are, are deep venous thrombosis as well as, as pulmonary embolus. However, this syndrome is also associated with much less common thromboembolism in more atypical sites, for example, in the liver. And, and so if you have a thrombosis in an unusual site, it should prompt a clinician to consider anaphospholipid syndrome, especially if the thrombosis occurs in the absence of other common risk factors for thrombosis. However, like other conditions that predispose to thrombosis, the, the most common sites are, are the legs and also pulmonary embolus. Uh, what caught my eye about this syndrome is that arterial thrombotic events also count. So tell our audience a little bit about what type of arterial thrombotic events you might see. Uh, again, uh, as with venous thromboembolism, uh, the most common type of arterial thromboses are the most common in the general population, and that would be strokes and transient ischemic attacks. However, you can also have uh, arterial thromboses in unusual uh, locations, for example, in the eye, uh, or in the digits. So a venous thrombotic stroke wouldn't really suggest this syndrome, is that correct? You could also have a, a, a venous event that would be considered a stroke, for example, a, a sagittal sinus thrombosis, uh, and that would also raise suspicion. Any thrombotic stroke, basically? Any thrombotic stroke. 
And uh, anaphylaxis syndrome is, is unusual relative to other thrombophilias in that there really is a very strong association with arterial events, where many of the other heritable thrombophilias are much more strongly associated with venous thromboembolism. That's another thing that caught my eye, but I didn't verbalize it. That's that the other obstetrical thrombophilias or the events that, that emerge during obstetrics are really venous events, but this could be arterial or venous. Yes. What are some of the laboratory criteria for diagnosing the syndrome? There are many different types of antiphospholipid uh, antibodies. As, as you know, antiphospholipid uh, antibodies are not necessarily antibodies that bind phospholipid. We, we thought that initially, and, and uh, hence the, the term. But the truth is, is we have no idea what these antibodies really bind to uh, in vivo. But there are many different tests available to test these antibodies. And what's great as clinicians is you don't really have to understand the biochemistry of the antibodies. You just have to know that if you have a positive test result, that your patient is at increased risk to develop these clinical problems. That it's always been a little bit irksome to me as a clinician has actually made me uh, tend to be skeptical over the decades about this. Do the antibodies have any common features? I mean, how were they identified? I'm sorry, but I'm a little confused about that point. The antibodies were, were first discovered, if you will, by the observation that patients with a, a false positive serologic test for syphilis, for example, you know, a, a VDRL, the observation that those patients were at somewhat increased risk to develop thromboses and pregnancy complications. And then when people did further research into that antibody and what they thought that antibody bound to, they recognized that cardiolipin was part of the purported substrate for that antibody. And that led to development of, of the assay for anti-cardiolipin antibodies. And so uh, that was one observation. The second observation is noting that patients who had this condition had what appeared to be a prolonged clotting test. And if you did a, a clotting test, it, it appeared as though the patient were taking heparin. And it turned out that what they had was an antibody that was messing up the clotting test, if you will. And that antibody's been termed the lupus anticoagulant. And that's a terrible name for an antibody because it's a double misnomer. Patients don't necessarily have to have lupus, although many do. And in fact, these patients aren't anticoagulated. They're actually prone to thrombosis. So they're, they're, they're a procoagulant state. So those are the two most common antibodies, the lupus anticoagulant and anticardiolipin antibodies. That lupus anticoagulant business was definitely going to come up because it's very confusing. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Robert Silver, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah Medical Center and chief of the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine. Today we are discussing pregnancy loss. In this segment, we have been focusing on antiphospholipid syndrome. Um, we had been talking about these uh, uh, antiphospholipid antibodies. Aside from uh, lupus anticoagulant, also which test? I thought there was uh, it was a PTT. I thought or the PT that has been used as a surrogate for the uh, lupus anticoagulant. Am I confused on that? No, that that is a, the the test. The testing for lupus anticoagulant is very confusing because it's not a traditional antibody test or immunoassay. And what's done is a clotting test. And if this antibody is present, it will interfere with the clotting factors, perhaps through binding phospholipid or, or a protein that, that's associated with phospholipid, and make the clotting test abnormal. But as you know, there are several other reasons for an abnormal clotting test. So if you have an abnormal clotting test in a patient you think has lupus anticoagulant, then something is done that's 
termed a mixing study, where the patient's plasma is mixed with normal plasma. If you have a clotting factor deficiency, then adding normal plasma will, will normalize the clotting test. However, if you have an antibody that's messing up the clotting test, then adding normal plasma won't help, and you'll still have a prolonged clotting test. There are then additional confirmatory tests that are done. For example, if you incubate the patient's plasma with phospholipid, it will bind the antibody, and then that will normalize the test. Fortunately, all you have to do as a doc is order a lupus anticoagulant screen, and you'll get a result back that says positive or negative. I see. Is it a PT or a PTT? It's a PTT. However, it's an activated partial thromboplastin time. However, there are several clotting tests that can be used as a screen. You can use a KON clotting time. You can use a Russell Viper venom time. And you can set the parameters of each clotting test to be a good screen or a bad screen for lupus anticoagulant. So there's not a single test that is, is better than another. In short, in the old days, uh, I used to just order a PTT, or the lab would just uh, change my lupus anticoagulant order to a PTT. But nowadays, it's probably best to actually order lupus anticoagulant. You bet. I would order a lupus anticoagulant screen. Okay. So uh, I think we covered um, some of these laboratory tests. Are there any other tests besides the antiphospholipid antibodies and that collection of antibodies that are suggestive of antiphospholipid syndrome? Well, the other uh, assay that's well characterized is anticardiolipin antibodies. It's a traditional immunoassay, and as such, you can get a semi-quantitative result. So you can get whether there's a low level, moderate level, or high level of antibody, and higher levels are more predictive of disease, especially of the IgG isotype. There are many other antiphospholipid antibodies available. Perhaps the most clinically useful are anti-beta-glycoprotein-1 antibodies. Uh, you can also get a semi-quantitative result. Beta-glycoprotein-1 is a cofactor for anticardiolipin antibodies, and it's an anticoagulant protein, so it's an attractive binding site for these antibodies. There are many other antiphospholipid antibodies. The most uh, well-known is antiphospholipid antibodies, but the clinical utility of those are uncertain. And I would recommend to uh, listeners to test for lupus anticoagulant, for anticardiolipin antibodies, and possibly for anti-beta-2-glycoprotein-1 antibodies, when considering a patient who might have the condition. Briefly, what is the mechanism of the disease if known? That is, uh, why are these patients more prone to clotting and uh, obstetrical misfortune? To be honest, the pathophysiology of the disease remains uncertain. In general, people think that the obstetric complications may be due to thrombosis or inflammation in the placenta, and perhaps due to a similar mechanism wherein you get thrombosis or inflammation in the periphery. But the exact mechanism is unknown. There are several hypotheses. Many center on damage from these antibodies to the endothelium, which may activate prostaglandins. There's also seems to be a major role of complement. There also may be interference with placental anticoagulant proteins. So there are a variety of uh, very interesting biochemical theories that are being studied in the laboratory, but none of them satisfactorily explain the, the heterogeneous presentation of the disease in human beings at present. How are obstetrical patients with a diagnosis uh, managed? That's a broad question, so perhaps just the highlights. I think the current treatment that's considered best is to use a thromboprophylactic uh, or therapeutic dose of either heparin or low molecular weight heparin and along with uh, low doses of aspirin, typically 81 milligrams per day, throughout the pregnancy. Uh, it's controversial as to the best time to start the medication, but typically it's started at the time of confirmation of a viable embryo. 
These patients are then followed throughout pregnancy like any other patient, but with additional surveillance for placental growth and development and for placental insufficiency with things such as NSTs and serial ultrasounds. It's also important to use thromboprophylaxis for about six weeks after delivery because these patients are at increased risk for thrombosis. I want to thank Dr. Robert Silver, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Utah Medical Center, who's been our guest. We have been discussing pregnancy loss. In this segment, we focused on anticardiolipin or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.